are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Who here is in that life stage where you're now looking at purchasing homes? You college students, put your hands down. Come on now. Your next step should be moving out of your parents' basement. Yeah, I said it. Right? We're, all, we're, all, we're, in, that, we're in that stage right now, for those of you who are post-college usually, um, because you need money to buy homes. And, um, but man, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people right now in this whole home buying market and this home well, this market really, a lot of people are taking a different alternative. It's, it's not so much as I'm looking to just buy a house. Now there's a whole lot of home building going on, you know? It's, it's actually really cool. Um, there's just a growing trend of people who want to customize their homes, not from the inside out, but from the ground up, actually. They want, I want this kind of style. I want this kind of stuff. I don't want that typical cookie-cutter homes. If you live in cookie-cutter homes, it's great. I live in a townhouse, for goodness sakes, right? It's as cookie-cutter as it can get. But yeah, but some people say, I don't want that anymore. I want something a little bit more customized. And so the home building industry, this is all about options. That's all it is. It's about options. And uh, before people actually go and buy homes or at least look at them, they've always wanted the same old stuff. They always want for, they, they always ask the realtor, can I get granite countertops? Maybe you've heard that. Or stainless steel appliances. And of course, the biggest one. Do you know what that is? Fireplace? No, not actually. Hardwood floors. I want hardwood floors. I'm sick and tired of the 1970s shag carpet. You know, I'm tired of this kind of whatever. I want hardwood floors. Why? Because it gives us the impression that a lot of people think that granite countertops and stainless steel appliances and hardwood floors are pretty much the best of what most people want, of what you can buy. Now, actually right now, there seems to be a, uh, a surge of eco-homes that are being available and being sought after. Eco-homes, or they're also known as green homes. Now, these homes are all about cost-saving. I know our sister Lauren, who's, who's, who loves saving the planet, yeah, she, green homes are great. They're awesome. It's about, you know, cost saving. It's about underusing rather than overusing. It's all about protecting the planet. You know, um, actually on my way home, there's this home that has entire roof. It's just solar panels. And during actually one big storm, it was really sad because a couple of them were just totally demolished. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's pricey too, but they do that. They do uh, solar panels. It's all about monitoring. My old condo is a green home or whatever, and they monitor your toilet flushing capacity. Even that, you can save some money and things like that. It's all about eco-friendly insulation that keeps the house warm during winter and nice and cool during the summer. Then, a few years ago, someone thought of another cost-cutting material, and that was bamboo. When it was first introduced, let's just say a lot of people didn't like the idea of something that looked so flimsy. And if, if you don't know what that means, you know, outside next to the basketball court, you see this wall of bamboo, Right? And it's, it kind of just sways with the wind. And during some storms, you'll see a few of them just crumple over and, and break apart. So a lot of people are like, well, I don't know about that. And not only that, when we think of bamboo, we usually think of panda food, don't we? 
It's like pandas like to eat it. They like to chew it. And so maybe it's not the best material to, you know, build a house with. And interestingly, while bamboo is actually a grass uh, and not wood, when it's pressed together, the porous and flexible nature of the bamboo makes it actually really durable, makes it really strong. And the fact is, they grow so rapidly, there's really no concern of over-harvesting them or anything like that. So bamboos are good. Not only are they delicious, but you can build a home out of it. In fact, unlike typical wood from trees, bamboos aren't as naughty. You're probably thinking, where's the sermon, Pastor David? <laughs> bamboos aren't as naughty. It's like my, my part-time job is at Home Depot, by the way, so if you want to. <laughs> it's not as naughty as traditional wood from trees. And while bamboo may look flimsy, it has a lesser chance of warping than traditional hardwood flooring. Bamboo flooring before was a lot cheaper, but now, since it's getting popularity, the prices are getting up there. Regardless, what really mattered wasn't the look of it, but rather the dexterity, the strength of the bamboo that determined whether or not it could withstand high levels of stress. It's not what things look like, but what they're made of that determines their strength. All that to say that. It's not what it looks like, but what they're made of that determines their strength. Now, I say all that because in a similar way, our ability to withstand the pressures of temptation and trials, our ability to withstand those kinds of pressure is not determined by the look or the sound of your faith, but what your faith is made up of. Like, I know plenty of people, and they look faithful. They look faithful. During worship, guess what? Even before a song starts, their hands are already up. They're already worshiping. They look graceful. They look holy. They say a lot of holy things, you know? And yet when difficulty or temptations hit them, they fold quickly. So it's not about the look of your faith. It's what your faith is made up of. So how do we know what true faith is made up of? That can be answered by asking two questions. What kind of God do we really know? And what kind of work has he really done in us? And that's the point of today's passage and sermon. That is, the bedrock of our faith during times of difficulty hinges on the character of God and the grace of God. Do you get that? Your faith and what it's made up of hinges on two things, who God is and what he does. The character of God and the grace of God. If you simply read these verses at face value, you could probably just create a fairly simple outline. Okay, God gives good things. God gives new life. But if you simply leave it at that, then it really doesn't do much for us right now, does it? Which is why it's important to go back and remember the context in which James is writing this. It's so important. Now, sadly, there's a whole lot of people who try to use God as a means for their own glory and benefit rather than the praises of God. In fact, I remember hearing a story many years ago. There was a tele-evangelist. You know those guys, right? They're always saying, they're saying, Jesus, Jesus. no, they're not saying Jesus. They're saying money, money, money. And these tele-evangelists, not too long ago, this one guy in particular said something really controversial. It had nothing to do with same-sex marriage. It had nothing to do with abortion. Nothing to do with things or issues that the Bible clearly speaks about. Rather, this man, this pastor, spoke on something that God had revealed, not through Scripture, 
but according to him, something God revealed through a vision or a dream. And by the way, it's not the mode in which God spoke, but it was the content. It's what this guy is saying. So he, there he stands before his mega church. This is I stand before you all. And he says this. Brothers and sisters, if we do not raise a certain amount of money, God said in a vision, he would take my life. Now that's shocking. Now if this pastor had said, God wants to raise money to reach out into the community, to go out missions, or to even build a church to accommodate our growing body of Christ. You know, that makes sense. I'd say, here's my checkbook. No problem. Yes. Yes, I believe that. Why? Because I believe God cares for the lost. Because I believe God cares for the body of Christ. Absolutely. I believe that. I believe that God wants the church to be surrounding, surrounded around the preaching and teaching of the word of God. I believe that God's mission and his love for the people is through evangelism and outreach. I believe that. But that's not what this pastor was saying. He's saying we need to raise money, people, or else God's going to kill me. And so it's moments like that when the members, you guys all have to just take a beat and say... Um, is that really true? Would God do that? Is God like that? Because for things that aren't explicitly clear in Scripture, how do we figure this out then? You must figure it out by gauging it with the character of God. Now the point of these verses 16 17 is that when we face trouble, temptations, and trials, we say, God, how can you do this to me? Or God, you're bad, you're mean, you're unjust, you're not being fair. Or, or God, you're out there to get me. The sins that surround us, the sins that are, <coughs> that are within us, the sins that we create and fall victim to, we end up doing what? We end up blaming God for them, don't we? All these mistakes, all these issues, all these whatever you want to call it, we blame God for it all. We blame God for man's sin. We blame God for man's consequences. We blame God for not helping those people or not saving me from that harm. We say to God, where were you? Why aren't you helping me? And yet in the face of all those accusations being thrown at him, James, the author here, says, wait a minute. Hold on a sec. Let me tell you about God. Because right now he's saying you all have a warped understanding and a very inaccurate view of God. And let me tell you what he's really like. He says, let me tell you, God is good. But I feel, no, it has nothing to do with how you feel. That does not change who God is. For God is good. Turn to your neighbor and say that. God is good. Brothers and sisters, when, when things look bad, please remember, God, he's still good. And so let me unpack that for you a bit, okay? Firstly, in verse 17, we read that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Now, there are two descriptions for use here for gifts. The first is that this good gift or good giving, it comes from God. And this emphasizes the quality of that giving, that good part. It emphasizes the, the quality of that giving or gifts. Secondly, every perfect gift, it emphasizes the suitability of the gift. So not only do we have the quality of what God is giving you, that it is above all, it is the best, but he's also now saying it's perfect. In any situation, in any time, in any place, the suitability, it is relevant. This means, people, that what God gives you, 
is not only the best that he could give, but also the most needed and relevant gifts that you could want. So as much as you think that winning the Powerball jackpot could save all of your life's problems, how many of you guys have ever thought that if I only had that $365 million, I could pay off my student loan? Or I could finally buy a house in Arlington? Or I could finally afford this car? And you think if I win this Powerball jackpot, I could answer, it would answer all my life's problems. Maybe, maybe, maybe God knows better. Maybe God's like, yeah, that's not what you need. What God gives us is the best. And what he gives us is given at the best time and place in our lives. you believe that? Why? Because it has to do with who God is. God's not like, oh, wrong time. My bad, guys. No. But also in verse 17 it says, coming down from the Father of lights. Man, is light good? How many of you guys get a little depressed during wintertime? Yeah, because the days are shorter. Night comes around 4 o'clock. You know, these past, like, summer days, like, few weeks, I've been grilling nonstop. Why? Because the sun is out until, like, midnight. I love it. It's great. And it says all these good gifts, the perfect gifts, it comes from the Father of lights. Light is good. The sun is good. The moon and stars are good. Day after day, night after night, we are dependent on these things for light and for warmth and for life. These things are all indicative of God's good gift to us. What does that mean? That means, that means God is generous. He is constant. So even in the midst of whatever darkness you're in, do not question God's goodness. He is blessing you, and he is showering you with good gifts, even though you may not know it right now. He is constant. Now, maybe you guys here may be wondering, how can I know how good God actually is then? Because you're saying, Pastor David, that God is always good. He's always good. What, do I just take that? Do I just have to trust you? How do I actually know and understand and experience this alleged goodness of God? Now I can ask you a similar question. How can you know who I am? PD. Do you and I have a relationship? Because let me say this. The people who, because I know myself. God knows me. My wife, my wife knows me. I know myself, okay? The people who come on just Sundays or Cheesters, people who come on Easter and Christmas, <laughs> and they hear me preach, they get convicted perhaps, or they laugh at a joke, and they get impressed, and at the end of the sermon, they immediately label me as, that's a good pastor. Oh, he's godly, holy, always doing right. Not a bad bone inside him. Oh, that Pastor David, immune to pain, immune to strife above people, above criticism, above whatever. Are you kidding me? That's not me. I'm pursuing God, but I'm far from perfect. And the reason why you don't know me is because maybe we just don't have a relationship. How can we have a relationship if this is all you come to? Just as you need to get to know me, to trust me, and so then grow with me, we must also build a relationship with God to know him and to know, therefore, that he is good. you got to have a relationship with him. To know Jesus is to know God. 
for Jesus, the image of the invisible God. To know that you can trust God, it requires a relationship. A relationship, a relationship, a relationship. Not a religion, not just a weekend little excursion to false church, to shining star community church. No, a relationship. That means as much as you have them right now, do you have them again tomorrow? And the day after that? And the days after that? No matter how dark it gets, do you still have him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? If not, no wonder you're second-guessing him because you don't know him. If you do have a relationship with God through Jesus, you're not over. It's not done. Grow deeper with him so that when the times of testing, and it will come, when these trials come, you can easily and naturally just fall back upon God. I used to do this one exercise with my youth students, and I stopped because they, I don't know why. It's the trust game. You put your arms around and you have people behind you and they link arms and say, do you trust me? And they're like, I trust you. And then they fall back and you catch them. Everyone says, kumbaya, and we all worshiping God, right? Until one day one of our kids, I guess he didn't link arms properly and kids just like fell right through and the other people like knocked heads, you know, as they're holding. It was just a big mess and, and I had to do a lot of repenting. But here's the thing, once you know God, you know exactly who he is, it's so easy to fall back on him. Now, there are three ways we can find out who God is and thereby trust in his character. First is this, you got to study his word. How do you communicate with people? You use language, you use words, you must use communication. And as you study the word, a pattern emerges. Because we'll learn that God never changes. You'll learn that he never lies. We learn that from Scripture that all things that God promised in the past has come true and is coming true and that God has never once failed in the past. When God says that he'll do something, he's going to do it. And so through his word, we build our trust upon his proven character. Secondly, we can trust in God by going back through our past experience and remember the goodness and faithfulness of God. Let me tell you, how many guys journal? You guys write your QTs or your thoughts down or type it up? Do so. Absolutely do so. That's why keeping journal can help us by reminding us. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's love for you. So when the enemy, and he will inevitably speak lies to you. In every situation, whether it's relationship, career, finance, your personal insecurities or failures, he will say all the things to destroy your relationship with God, and he'll cast all these doubts into you. But it's at moments like that that you can go back, and when the enemy speaks lies, you can say, no, God, he's never hurt me. No, God's never once abandoned me. And I remember back in 19 so and something, whatever, when I had the hardest time, when my father died or my mother passed away or something happened and I just needed and God was there. No, saying you're wrong. I can list a hundred examples of how and when God rescued me. And you tell Satan to shut up. Remember. Remember. Thirdly and finally, have a good group of God-fearing, Bible-believing, praying brothers and sisters in Christ. No man is an island. No woman is an island. You cannot live your Christian life thinking that you will thrive. At best, you'll survive. God speaks through people. God speaks through circumstances, through inner confirmation of the Holy Spirit. That's why our life groups are so important. There's this one man who climbed a steeple, hoping to get closer to God. And when he got up there, 
holding dearly to that steeple. He cried out, God, where are you? And then God answered, I'm down below with my people. What are you doing up here? God, he speaks to us and he loves us by using people like you and me. Be with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They are not a nuisance. They are people who want you better, to become better. And I pray, and you will understand this, especially if you join with me downstairs in baptism, what it means to be that body of Christ, that we hold each other accountable, that we grow together in faith. Don't you want that? Yes. God is good and only he is good. We can be upset at the situations that occur. We can mourn when loved ones die. Absolutely. We can be angry at the sins of our lives or in others, and we can hate the injustices we see or face, but we must never question the goodness of God. And if you have a tendency to question God's character, we have to repent. Because His kindness leads us to repentance, and through repentance, this is the beauty of what it does, the muddied lenses by which we look through will be cleansed and we'll start seeing God for who he really and actually is. Like he is good. Without repenting, you're just caking more on. You're just caking it on. My last point follows verse 18. When all things seem hopeless, God, he asks us to rest in his grace. If you know me, you'll know that I am genuinely interested in weather, right? You've heard me say that. So when I talk about weather, it's not small talk. I'm asking for you to really engage with me. Let's talk about it. I don't know any terms, really. I just like talking about it. If you don't want to talk about it, let's just go for a walk and enjoy it. Well, this past 4th of July, the dense fog coupled with the fireworks smoke really made it difficult to see the vibrant display of fireworks. Any of you guys had some trouble, right? Now, as bad as it was, it wasn't too, it wasn't too bad. In fact, I recall a time a few years back, when um, on another 4th of July, actually, as I was driving down my street on Broad Street, the wind or pressure system, whatever, pushed down all the fog that was also there at that time and also all the smoke down towards the ground. And almost immediately, from somewhat foggy, it became, as meteorologists put it, 0-0 fog. And there's this acronym, and I can go into this W-O-X-O-F, fog. And at that moment, that 0-0 fog, you know what it does to you? It felt cold. It felt damp. It was dark. And apparently there's this psychological phenomenon called eerie isolation. And it makes you suddenly feel that the rest of the world is no longer there. And I'm talking about real fog. I'm not talking about, oh, I can still see the headlights. This eerie isolation makes it feel like the whole world is just tiny little space that you're standing on, all alone, unable to move, directionless, blind, alone. Now, to me, that fog illustrates what trials and temptations do to us. They make us lose sight of everything. They make us lose sight of everything we know, and, and before long, we start feeling like everyone else no longer exists. Have you ever been in such a weird place, such a difficult place in your life where you felt like everyone else was just gone? Nothing else was there. No help, no support, nothing. That you were all alone. Our troubles 
That's what it does. It makes us feel isolated, alone, cut off, uncertain about where we've come from or where we're going, so we tend to lose our way. And when that fog descended down upon me, you know what I did? I stopped the car in the middle of the road. My high beam did nothing. My stupid fog lights, named for, I don't know, foggy conditions, didn't do anything. I turned on everything. Couldn't even see the signal. So what I did was I drove like 0.1 miles per hour until I literally bumped into the curb. Parked my car there and I got out and I just waited on the sidewalk until it just kind of went away. Sadly, as much as the trials obscure our direction, it also has a tendency to obscure our faith, these fogs. So when God says that he's, that he's got blessings for us, when God says he's got mountains of promises that are available, we end up second-guessing it all because we can't seem to see it all through all the fogs of trial and hardships. Have you ever felt that way? You see, when I got back from Columbus, Ohio, from that conference, D.C. was actually raining that night, or well, evening-ish. And there was a point, as I was looking out the window, all I could see was gray and white. We were in a pretty dense fog or cloud, and yet the pilot, he kept going. Not that you can park your plane in the air, but he just kept going. I doubt his visibility was any better than mine. But it's at those times that this is what the pilot does. The pilot turns off his basic instincts. He simply and has to trust in his instruments, not in his senses. He has to trust that his radar is leading him correctly to the destination. He has to trust that the Reagan National Tower crew has an eye on him, even if he doesn't. Verse 18, let me say this. God, he's training us. Spiritual fog is common, and it will rule over our lives and our souls. But that's why Jesus said to us, you walk by faith, not by sight. Maybe right now there's spiritual fog in your life. Maybe there's complete darkness, and you're scared, you're unsure, you're confused, and frantically trying to adjust your eyes to see, but to no avail. God says to you all, do not trust your senses. It will lie to you. Don't rely on your instincts. It has failed you before. Instead, he says, trust me. I know the way. Trust me. I've been there. Because just as I was flying in that dark cloud, there would be moments where we fly across a gap and you would see the sky. It was a clear, beautiful sky. But only for a moment. You see, God, he rolls back the fog for a moment in our lives as well and he reminds us that where we are and who he is. He'll give us these moments of his grace so that we'll remember that when the fog rolls in again and it seems like everything else has disappeared, that God, he's still there. And that he has never left you. And I just love how James finish off, finishes this verse off in verse 18. He says, of his, own will he brought, of his own will he brought us forth. His own will. Whose will? God's will. Whose volition? God's volition. His desire, his own purpose, this means God, he has chosen you. That in the midst of our trials and troubles, God says, I have chosen you for my own. You see, 
we have hope in this life, not because we expect a trouble-free life, but because God has not left us in our trouble, because God has chosen you. He took the initiative, and he chose to save us. God's sovereignty doesn't mean that he's just in control of all things, but his sovereignty means that he has affection on us. He has set his affection on us because he's chosen us. I shared this story before during my membership, membership class. But there was this lady, this woman named Dr. Rosario Butterfield. She's a tenured English professor at Syracuse University. She was a former lesbian, a staunch reporter of the feminist and LGBT movement. And now, after Christ and hearing the gospel, she became a follower of Christ. Life completely, inside out, outside in, every single way, transformed. She ended up marrying a pastor, of all people, and is now going around, still teaching, but now sharing the life-saving message of the gospel. And she said this, My whole life, I was trying to figure out who I was, but I realized that after meeting Jesus, that I was asking the wrong question. It wasn't about who I was. It was about whose I was whose I was. Whose are you? God chose you. We didn't choose God, but God in his love chose us and saved us. We are his. And that should give us a great source of comfort. But, God, but James says that God's love is demonstrated also in this new birth. You see, what God has done for us in Jesus is just crazy. What God has done for us in Jesus is incredibly radical. God, he didn't just establish new laws or principles to live by. No, God didn't save us because we're bad and that we need to be good. How many of you guys think that that's what saves you? How many of you guys think, man, if I only stop smoking, I'll probably be better off? Yeah, probably in terms of like your lung condition. But if, maybe if I stop my addiction to pornography or to you know, promiscuity or if I stop binge drinking, if I stop hooking up with this person or if I stop what, and if you think if I could just change my life around in terms of changing, modifying my bad behavior into good behavior, start being a better parent instead of a bad parent, being more patient rather than angry. If you think maybe if I just become a better moralist from good to bad, that that's what I need, that that is the key, that that's what God is asking for all people. He's saying to the all six, seven billion people in the world, he's like, if only, why can't you all be good? You think that's what God wants? There are plenty of good people. There are plenty of good people. You know this. You may have a neighbor who's just such a wonderful neighbor. They're not a Christian. But man, you need something? They said, come right in. I got plenty of sugar for you. I can cut your lawn for you even. There are plenty of good people. Plenty of people who consider themselves to be moralists. That's not what we need. Being good is not what saves us. Don't think that. It is false. It is a false gospel, false teaching. But why do we need to be saved then if goodness is not what we are trying to, trying to get at? We need to be saved from our spiritual deadness. We're dead inside. Because spiritual deadness is the product of sin. And we all have sin. You can't, you can't deny that. 
And God, he is holy. And he is perfect. And there is no relationship between sin and God. So through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are transformed, we are recreated, and reborn into a new life. Hallelujah. When we're in trouble... We are as vulnerable as anyone else. We feel weak. We feel hopeless. But through the promise from the word of God, the gospel, the words of God, it breathes life into our lifeless souls. We are raised with Jesus, born again, and made into new creatures in Christ Jesus. So what are we called to do? God says, rest in my grace. Rest upon the goodness of God. No matter how foggy it might get, no matter how isolated and lonely and abandoned you may feel and are unable to see anything around you. The reality is this, nothing else has changed. God is still there. When the fog obscures your faith and you're unable to see the hand of God moving, do not give up. Do not be alarmed. Instead, trust more. Pray more. Worship more. Seek his word more. Things around may change, but the goodness of God and the grace of God are unchanging. And I end with this. We have to trust that God is good. Like, we need to be saying that every day. Because every day, there are moments when we start doubting his character. And we start questioning if he's really for us. We have to trust that God is good because he is good. And you can rest in his promises to lead you and provide you provide for you and bless you. But we have to also trust in the grace of God that through Christ Jesus, we have been chosen, you have been saved. Our hope is not in the stability of our lives in this world, but in the security of our eternity, is it not? If there's any person here who does not have that security and you're thinking, well, I don't know if I'm chosen, that is not up for you to decide. But God has put out a proposition to you right now. And he's saying, this is who I am. Everything else cannot do what I can do. Come to me in faith. Trust that your sinfulness has separated me from you, and I want you back so bad. I want you bad. And because of my love for you, God says, I will give you the greater sacrifice, the most painful sacrifice. And while it may be easy for you to choose, it was costly for me for I gave my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. Accept him. Trust and believe in my love and in my forgiveness of all, over all your sins. And you will be with me in paradise. You may not be rescued from the troubles and turmoils of this world, but you will certainly have the greatest security of all in eternity with me. That is what the Lord is offering you. That is something that the rest of the world cannot. Who are you trusting in today? What are you trusting in today? And for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, I again encourage you, do not question the character of God. Know, know this, that he is good. And whatever you're going through, no matter how difficult it might be, rest in his grace, for he has chosen you. Let's pray. Only Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to hear the words that you have spoken through your servant James. 
We believe it to be your words. We believe it to carry authority, not over all creation, but I hope and pray over authority over our lives even. God, would you, would you really allow that, those covers and the callousness and the hardship and the muddied lens that we are just all wearing and just to fall? Would you clear us up from all this muck? And I pray right now, today, this moment, that we could look at you and see you. God, we can't do this. For we're limited. Not only, not only are we limited, God, but we are incapable. Incapable of finding and choosing you. God, you have to come make your way down to us. And you did through your, through your son, Jesus Christ. Now we ask the Holy Spirit to tear down those walls of unbelief in our lives. You know, that same person who I talked about who became a dynamic woman of faith, Dr. Rosario Butterfield, not only did she say that wonderful thing is of not only did I try to find out who I was but whose I was, but she also said, you see, when I understood what the gospel of grace was through Jesus Christ, I was not converted from my homosexuality. I was converted from my unbelief. And that question remains, do you believe God? And do you believe that he is who he says he is? Do you believe that he is the Lord of all creation? Do you believe that he has infinite love for you? Do you believe that he has a resting place in eternity that has your name on it? Do you believe that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die for your sins? Not anyone else's, but for your sins that you should have paid. But God says, I'll take it. Do you believe? Father, would you lead us right now? Would you break again any walls or barriers that are in the way? Would you keep us from spiritual blindness, Father, for you want to see right now? Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you guys to continue praying for another minute or so. As you meditate upon the words that have just been spoken, you search your hearts. Where are you with the Lord? Repent and come back. Come back. Today must be the day that must be changed. Not tomorrow, not the year after. Right now, this is it. Let's pray.